There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. My first guest today was born in the Castle Pollard mother and baby home, where she remained with her mother, Bridget, until she was three. Kathleen Chute's story is one of thousands, and she's with us today to tell it again. Afternoon, Kathleen. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good, but yesterday, how was yesterday for you? Yes, it was tough. It was um, it was a day I tried to avoid. I tried to pull myself away from it to detach um, from all the stories and the stuff because I kind of felt I didn't belong in it because I feel lucky, you know. Mm. Listen to the horror stories of some of those women and families and people who have left and people who have been forgotten and, you know, and then somewhere in me last, yesterday evening, it was just, I felt, no, I was pulled in. I was, you know, I felt, you know, I was there. I was in Castle Pollard for three years, my first three years of my life with my mother. So she la- she had to stay for another three years. That was six for her, you know. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was unreal. It was, yeah, but it had been, had been, you know, this has been going on in me for a long time, you know. And for years, mm. I just, I just didn't want to know. I didn't. I didn't know, actually, know anything about my mother. I didn't know her name. It's only 10 years ago this year that I found her name, and I found my name. Mm. And not knowing your name, that was the big thing for me. I didn't know my name, you know. Let's go back to just Castle Pollard, because you remained with your mother, whose name was Bridget, until you were three. I take it you would have no recollection. Who does of those early years? Or, or, you know, when you were adopted, I, I think you were adopted at three years of age by your adoptive family. Yes, I was adopted at three. No, I have no recollection. All I can remember is a hand, holding a hand. And I can see shiny floors every so often. Like wooden floors. Uh, yeah, and I don't, I have no bad memories. I have no good memories uh, of it at all. Just, just that's what I was. And uh, yeah, and then I was adopted to Mamertoon and to McCabe family when I was three. And uh, yeah. And you had... A very good life with the McCabe family. Not they bad loved life. You. It was a good life. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. It was a lovely area to go up in. You know, there was there was a wee small farm. There wasn't much of anything, but there was enough. You know, and mm. um, yeah, you you learn to appreciate life, and you learn to appreciate everything that was nature and everything. The wee farm and the animals and how life went yeah. on. But you never knew, Kathleen, you never knew that you were adopted until, what was it when you were in primary school and it wasn't, you weren't told by the McCabe family? Oh, well, you know, I, I did know I was adopted. I knew, did but you? I didn't know what it was. I remember my mother yes. used to say when she would be in town in Carrick, she'd say, this is the wee girl I adopted. Oh. 
And what? I hated that because I didn't I didn't know what it, actually know what it meant at the time. But I knew it wasn't it wasn't I wasn't it was something different. And I didn't know it was only when I was about eleven at school, one of the girls said to me, ten or eleven, she said, Is your mother and father dead? she said to me. I said, Not at all, they're at home in the kitchen, you know. And she said, Well, why are you adopted then? And that's the day I discovered what adoption meant. That my parents were gone, that I didn't have parents, that they weren't my real parents. But I never went, I didn't go home, I didn't say anything when I went home, I never mentioned it, I just kept it to myself. And you kept this within, suppressed for years and years? Yeah, and I, I, I'd i held it, and I held it as shame for years, and I was like, I don't know why, but oh God, I felt, yeah, I couldn't. Never talked about it. Didn't nobody. A lot of my friends didn't know. Like the ones that went to school, secondary school, with the local people would have known Marrakeen. They'd have known all right, but I didn't. Just never came up for me. I didn't talk about it. And it's you when I got married, you... when I was getting married, looking for my birth shirt, that I got mm. the birth shirt, and on the birth shirt it was place of birth and Ireland. It said, and I thought any bloody field, you know, I had no. There was no home. There was no nothing. There was nothing registered, you know. And my adopted parents were the parents on the thing, on the birth there, you know. And it really, God, that's when it hurt. And then when I so had my get, kids, I didn't. Yeah, you, I, you, then it really got, you know. So you got married. Uh, you, you you never spoke to your husband about this. You never raised this. You, you had your first child when nineteen seventy. What year was it? You had your first child. Yeah, seventy seven. You know that moment when that child is born. There must have been thoughts in your mind thinking. Oh my god! Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a big homecoming for me. Like this is my first relation, the first blood relation I had. I never had any relatives. You see, I didn't know anyone that was related to me. And Kelly was my first relative, hmm. you know, my daughter. And, that was and yet you still didn't, you still didn't talk about this at all. You're carrying this with you all the time. And, and the joy you must have felt, when, as you said, when Kelly was born there. And that continued. When did you first, um, you know, talk to anybody about this? Was it the time you met the doctor in Carrick? No, I think I was, I was, um, I must have been uh, 28, 29, I think. My, I think my fourth child, Sarah, was born then, and it was just kind of... I, I rang Bernardo, so I, I wrote to them, I think, actually. I discovered Bernardo's might have answers, and I asked, I rang to talk about my mother's name and what I was entitled to and all that, and they sent me a letter back in a couple of weeks, and they said to me that my mother was dead. It was a very cold, callous letter. There was nothing in it, you know, nothing, the most, nothing, really, that would connect you with any kind of sensitivity. And uh, I I just had it for a while and then I showed it to my husband and he was very disappointed with me for, uh, with my late husband. He was very disappointed because my mother, my birth, my adopted mother was still alive and he thought it was an awful offence to her to be looking for, you know, the woman that reared me and all that and what, that wasn't much gratitude and all this. And uh, that was it. So I put that away for another while then, you know, because I had no, I'd no um, support at all. You know, mm. I had no one to talk to about it, you know. 
So Barnardo's was the first time you made an inquiry. You wrote to them and you were really rebuked by them. You didn't get anything back from them. And at that stage, your husband knew. That's interesting to hear what his feeling was about, you know, your your adoptive mother and you in search of, of your real mother. But you did, didn't you speak to Dr. Peter Morn in Carroll? Oh, yeah. I mean, I went to Dr. Morn. Yeah, I was in with Dr. Morn. Peter Morn was the doctor at the time there. His mother, Aileen, was the doctor. And then he took over for a while. And he was amazing. Like he held me there, let me sit there for an hour and talked and cried and talked and cried. And he was so supportive. He was the only one at the time that I could talk to. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. It was the only person. Yeah. I always yeah. be so grateful to him for that. Yeah. Mm. So that was the first time you really could open up to anybody and talk about it. When did you tell your children or why did you decide to tell your children? Uh, I think I, the younger ones, I think I told Sean or some of them first because um, they were talking about somebody was adopted. And I remember saying, oh, God, so am I. And they looked at me and said, nearly died. You know, they didn't, you know, they just mm. couldn't believe it. You know. Uh, uh, yeah, and then eventually one told the other and I told them then, you know, and it was just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of those things. Now, let's go back to 10 years ago, approximately 10 years in uh, in May 2011. You're still carrying this with you. You've made no progress in finding out who your mother really was. And I know you had somebody, you had a social worker in Drogheda working for you as well, and that didn't lead anywhere. But 10 years ago, tell me the story uh, or tell our listeners, May 2011, what happened? It was actually June 2011. Um Oh, May, sorry, May 2011 was the beginning of it. Yeah, you're right. Um, I was uh, planning to, how was it? Um, oh, yeah, I was going with a friend of mine to um, a workshop in Carlingford. It was, there was a priest doing it, uh, a workshop on would you believe or who are you? I was looking to heal the past. You know, this was a workshop on healing your past. Mm. And Fa- Father Jim Cogley was his name, I think. Yeah, he wrote a couple of books on Would You Believe? And I thought this would be great healing for my friend because he was very uh, holding on to stuff. He couldn't let go of stuff, you know. And I thought, well, God, this would be great. Maybe you should, you know, release it. Anyway, we went and I was sitting there anyway and holding myself back. It was like avoiding a camera. I was holding myself back so the healing would go to him, you know. Mm. But anyway, we got home that evening. I got home that evening anyway, and uh, I was completely and utterly drained. I was so exhausted, you wouldn't believe it. It was like everything about me was jelly. And I couldn't figure out what happened to me, like, you know, Jesus. You know, but anyway, I went to bed next morning, got up grand, and my friend rang to see that I want lunch, but I want to go for lunch, and like that. And I said, yeah, okay. And he mentioned something about what to wear or something anyway that was very casual. And, uh, I I got kind of aggressive because I, I couldn't understand it because I don't sweat the small stuff. I don't give a damn, but people can say what they like. Anyway, uh, I said, like, are you ashamed of me or something? And it was that, when I said that word shame, I realised this was mine. This was my stuff. This wasn't anyone else's. And I remember saying, look, this is my stuff. Don't worry, it's, you know, because it's not anything you said. And I couldn't stop crying. I cried and I cried and cried. I went into the car and I cried the whole way and I cried then the whole way into the dinner. And uh, he said, like, something, what, what is it? And I, adoption fell out. It was like it fell out on the plate. It fell out on top of, out of me, the word adoption. And 
Instead of going to where we were ever we were supposed to go, we ended up going to James at my late husband's grave. And it was like, it was like he was helping me then from then on. It was like the whole thing came with me. Everything, every support that was there came with me. Energy from everywhere. But I felt really, you know, it was that, that day, that started it for me. And then a week or so later, headed off to Monaghan down to um, the register to see could I find anything. And I only had, you see, my date of birth. I didn't have anything else. And I didn't even know if that was right. But anyway, the registry office was shut. So I ended up going in to see the bishop. I didn't even know it was the bishop's house at the time, into his house. And he gave me, a wee, he drew out a wee map of where the parish centre was. And went to the parish centre and there was a big book. Big, big book. My God, the size of it. But my name wasn't in it. And I, I looked to get the devastation. I felt... I was standing there for a few minutes and maybe it was only seconds, but it felt like a lifetime. And it was, I felt nothing. Time had stopped and I felt, God, nothing. It was just the blankness was unreal. And then the girl said something. She said, Kathleen, have another book. And the hospital register, she found my name. She found it. And it was like my name was in big print. And uh, I thought, and I seen my mother and father from adopted parents' names, Mara Clune, and I thought, oh, shall I know that, you know, and I passed our marks, and I said nothing. But then the page went to the left, and I could see crossed off Shatton, and I thought, jeez, my heart lifts. I could feel it, it, it leaping out of me. And there was Bridget McCudden, and I thought, no way, that's not my mother's name, is it, you know? And that, that's what I got. I got her name that day, and I got mine. Hmm. You know, and, and uh, I came up that road and I, I don't know how I drove that car because the tears were tripping me. And I came home and I remember I, I, I copied it about 10 or 15 times. I have them everywhere, that back to concert. I'm never going to lose it. You know, so, uh, yeah, it was something else. You know, and then a few weeks later, I, I, I got her death cert. And I was, that's when I discovered that um, she lived in Dublin. The last few years of her life, she lived in Dub in in Fitzroy Avenue. And when I was eight, sixteen to eighteen, I lived in Cahillbrew. I worked. I was studying in Cahillbrew Street, and I lived in Mountjoy Square in a hostel. And that was exactly ten minutes away from where she was for two years, and I didn't know it, and we never met. Oh. And I knew when I was ten as well. That I knew I was from Monaghan. I knew they were close. I could feel it one day in me. Because remember the social worker and me telling her, only look in Monaghan, don't go any further. That's where I'm from. And I found her in Shantana, crossed off Shantana. And my dad was across the field. That's where he was from, from her house. And now they're buried in Lohagas. She's there. And there's a grave between the two of them. And I never met either of them. But I met lovely people, of families and cousins and, you know, just amazing people. Yeah. So you found her, and the, the the pain of knowing that you were within minutes of where she lived oh. when you were both in Dublin, and she died. What age was she when she died? She was forty nine. And you were her only child. Yeah, yeah. But you've reconnected with cousins and her family. Her family. I met her best friend Maggie Sheridan down there. Maggie's still there. Oh my God! You know, I remember walking into Maggie's house and. Saying to Maggie, did you? Because somebody told me that I'd have known Maggie knew her well. They were friends, 
And uh, Maggie nearly died when she seen me. She just cried. And she said, I knew you'd come someday. You know, and uh, Maggie made a cup. She made a cup of tea for Maggie the night before she went away. And Maggie never knew she was going until she was, she was long gone. And uh, it was only a long time after she heard that she had a baby. Mm. And it was ironic. So she didn't know. She did not know. She did not. Nobody knew uh, no. these girls were sent away to these homes. And oh, my God. I, I'll just uh, just to let you know, uh, Kathleen, Michal Martin has just risen to his feet and apologised on behalf of the state. I'll just tell you what he said for the profound generational wrong visited on Irish mothers and their children who ended up in mother and baby homes or county homes. He also apologised for the shame and stigma they were subjected to. And he went on to say, I want to emphasise that each of you were in an institution because of the wrongs of others. Each of you did nothing wrong and deserve so much better. And he finished by saying the state failed you, mothers and children in these homes. That's just part of uh, his speech that he's making there. What do you make of that? Well, thank God, at least it's acknowledged. Mm. You know, there's something, because it will help somebody. It will help. Like, I mean, I just, all day yesterday, I'm thinking about this apology, like, what? It's meaningless words, but it's it's acknowledgement, you know, that it happened, that it was allowed to happen, that the state allowed it to happen, and the church, and what really hurts me and what really pains me most, the nuns, like, how cruel could it be, women to women? I mean, I can't understand that. I can't, I can't fathom it at all. Because all my life, I've met the loveliest nuns in the continent, Carrick, and in in the hostel in Dublin, where I was run by nuns. But the nicest people, the kindest people, and yet those people there, what they did to those women and those young children, and neglect and cruelty and starvation and oh, and you know the same crap is going on still in in different areas of life, you know. You see, there are really bad eggs across life in places and the ones that were bad were really horrific, Kathleen. How were the holes so bad together? How did mm, they possibly have? You couldn't gather them up if you tried. No. It was poison venom that was in it, you know, really. You you said there about the shame. You carried shame with it, Kathleen. Mm. I did, I, I... it was that day when I mentioned that shame that I released it. I owned it because I carried that for years. Like um, I, and I wasn't entitled then, and I was. I felt obliged that I was obligated to my family to be because you know people say, "Oh, weren't you very lucky to be adopted? Weren't you rare, great, and all that?" And I always felt obliged. I felt. You know, I couldn't do anything. I had to stay around. I had to do this. I had to do that. I felt, yeah, obligated all the time. And it was because of that that, that took me in, derailed me. And, and it was great. Like, I'm not knocking, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't change anything in my life. I have no desire to change anything or any wish for that. But um, I'm grateful for everything in my life. And thank God I have a lovely family and grandchildren. And, and I couldn't, I wouldn't swap any of that. But um, it was just that shame. I carried that. And I'm so glad I owned it now that I'm not passing that on because you pass this stuff on to your family and intergenerational. So, uh, yeah, it's owning it, I think, that's that healed it for me, you know. Mm. You don't feel anger. You, you say you don't regret anything. You've no anger and you no know feelings like that towards... Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not angry for me because I'm I'm... 
I'm lucky and I'm so grateful to Bridget for bringing me into the world and what I'd I'd love to have had the opportunity of heard her story. You know, she she has been amazing. She, you know, only for her, I wouldn't have life. And it was like I was meant to be for some reason. And I'm not going to let her go because of this. Yeah. You know, I mean, she deserves the credit and I her name is going to be there. And I'm glad I put her into my book and... Uh, I couldn't believe I found her. Like I can't, even though I didn't meet her. I, I feel I know her. You know. Yeah. I can go to her grave and I can go to Charlie's grave and I can talk to the two of them or say hello to them and send them flowers or just across the family now. You know. Yeah. It was closure for you in a, in in, a, in an amazing way and the way it happened those ten years ago when it inadvertently that healing came to you rather than somebody else. It's 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 a wonderful wonderful story. It really is. Well, look, Kathleen, I thank you for joining me again today on this difficult day. Yes, it was difficult, and of course we're going to hear more about this as the days go on. It'll be analysed further, and there's a lot more to come. There certainly is, but you're a great one. You really are in, in what you've you know, the way you've moved on and the way you look on this at this stage and uh, your gratitude is amazing, Kathleen. It really is. I wish you well and it's great to talk to you again. I really appreciate it, Kathleen. Thanks, Gary. And I just want to wish everyone the best and send them all blessings, everyone concerned with this today and all from now on. Okay, thanks a million, Jerry. Thanks, Kathleen. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.